0: Welcome back to our summer series covering the great talks and seminars from Revive, our annual festival. This seminar is from Joe Evans on being faithful at work. Enjoy. Let's make a start. Hi, w- welcome. Thanks so much um, for joining me on this incredibly warm afternoon. It's really good to see you all. Um, my name's Joe Evans, as you've probably seen from the program, um, and. Yeah, we're here today to think about what it means to be faithful in the workplace. Um, the reason why I'm the person talking here today is I, I go to Christchurch Balaam. I thought, yeah, I should definitely shout them out, yeah. Um, but for work, I, um, I, I'm in the advocacy team at the Evangelical Alliance. Um, and there I wrote a resource called Living for Jesus at Work. It's on all of your seats. That is free to take away. Um, And uh, yeah, the Evangelical Alliance uh, is an organisation that you may or may not have heard of, um, but it is the oldest and the largest evangelical Christian organisation in the UK. Um, It's made up of 18,000 individual members. uh, I need to get my numbers right. 3,000 churches and 500 organisations. And um, as well as the resource in front of you, you've got your handout for today, but also a little card, which has got a QR code on it, as well as a web link for those who aren't QR code friendly. Um, And there you can find out a bit more about the work that we do at the Evangelical Alliance, as well as producing resources like what we're going to be looking at today. Um, And on that link, you uh, you can find out about the podcasts that we do in our work there. You can find out about the public policy work we do. So my team, the advocacy team, we go into Parliament, um, and we speak with MPs, and we represent the evangelical Christian voice. Those 18,000 individual Christians that are members, we go into Parliament and we represent them on all sorts of different issues, from the refugee refugee crisis, cost-of-living crisis, on issues um, like relationships and sex education. And if you like the resource that we look at today, if you um, think it's worthwhile, If you want to support that work that we do in Parliament, you can become a member for just three pounds a month. So why don't you take that card away, have a look, and see what you think. Um, Well, it's really good to see you today. And the fact that you've chosen to come to this seminar means that you already know that living for Jesus in your workplace matters. I know that I don't need to convince you of that. But you have come here for a reason Um, Perhaps you're wondering what being faithful in your workplace actually looks like on a day-to-day basis. Or perhaps you're wondering what your legal freedoms are when it comes to speaking about your faith and about Jesus. Or perhaps you're wondering how do you navigate the current cultural climate that we live in and remain faithful to your God-given conscience. My hope for today is that you will leave excited by God's love for you, encouraged by what he can do through you in your workplace, and motivated to live and speak for Jesus to your colleagues who don't yet know him. But before we go any further, I should tell you a little bit about the resource that's on your chair, the Living for Jesus at Work resource. In autumn 21, um, the Evangelical Alliance, we surveyed six or just under 600 Christians working in varied and challenging workplaces. And we asked them to tell us, what are some of the challenges that you face in your workplace? Where are there conflicts between your faith and the work that you're asked to do? But also, where are the opportunities when it comes to talking to colleagues about Jesus? And so together, we put together um, the resource in front of you in the hope that it would help Christians to live out their faith boldly, joyfully and wisely. Um, It's a suite made up of four resources. You've got the main resource with you today, and it covers a biblical foundation. There's information on your legal rights and freedoms, wisdom when it comes to sharing the gospel, tips for navigating thorny issues of our time, and where you might find wider support as a Christian in the workplace. There are four resources. Again, it can all be found through that QR code um, on the card you have in front of you, but there's a research report um, from that piece of research I talked about. There's also a Bible study guide with five Bible studies you could do with Christian colleagues if you have them, or a small group, um, as well as a pocketbook guide, which is really something to sit alongside your personal devotions. Last thing I want to point out before we go on with the meat of the seminar is this book called Proving Grounds by Graham Hooper. It's actually not on the bookstore this week but you can find it um, on 10 of those and Good Book Company Um, and it's a book that just it goes into just about every area of the Christian working life that you could think of um, and breaks it down into manageable bite-sized chunks in a really wise and um, yeah rooted in the Bible way so I'd really really recommend that book. Okay so today we're looking at biblical foundations for living for Jesus at work. And we're going to think about the practical applications, what it might look like day to day. Um, But today, we could jump around to lots of different Bible passages, but actually, we're just going to look at one book, one Thessalonians. And my hope is that after today, whenever you're faced with these difficult questions that come up from trying to be faithful to Jesus in the workplace, um, rather than frantically Googling, passages related to living for Jesus at work, you can just come to this one book of the Bible. Um, so today, as you'll see on the handout in front of you, we've got one book, five points. It's a lot to cover, and it's warm, so um, I'll pray, and then we'll crack on. Father God, thank you so much for this, for this weekend, um, for this time that we get to gather together now, looking at your word. Please, would you speak to us through it so clearly, um, would we be so excited to um, live for you in our place of work, to be faithful to you um, with our colleagues. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter one, the work of God. Um, let's find 1 Thessalonians in your Bibles. And I'm just going to start by reading um, verses one to six of chapter one. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So the context for 1 Thessalonians can be found in Acts 17, Um, Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica to share the good news of Jesus, firstly to the Jews, to their own people, and then to the Gentiles. But the opposition from the Jews was so fierce that they were literally run out of town. And then Paul and Silas go on to the next town, Berea. Um, The the opposers from the first town follow them there, run them out of that town as well. In fact, in the ESV ESV translation, verse 6, it says, these men have turned the world upside down. This is, of course, meant as an insult, but what a powerful testimony of God's power. And this is the story of 1 Thessalonians, a place turned upside down by the gospel, totally transformed in unlikely circumstances, an unlikely place, and unlikely people, I believe that this story has a lot to say to you in your workplaces. So could you please turn to the person next to you, or in twos and threes, and discuss these two questions? Why did you become a Christian? Not how, but why. What was it about the good news of Jesus that really captured you? And what is it like to be a Christian where you work? Easy, hard. Or irrelevant just doesn't really come up it's not a factor just two minutes and discuss that with the person next to you in in our research in our research we found that 40% of people said there were times when they feel they have to prioritize their work over their Christian faith 40% of people felt they had to prioritize at some point their work over their Christian faith it is difficult to be a Christian in the workplace in 2023. But I want to encourage you by saying that some of the, that Paul and Silas are some of the earliest Christians and it was difficult for them too. This is not a new problem. It was difficult then as it is now, just as Jesus had promised. But we do have um, rights and freedoms now that Paul and Silas did not enjoy. Um, So I just want to touch on the law just for a second. Whilst today we're mostly going to be thinking about what it means to act wisely, I often refer to the resource in front of you as your wise friend um, to help you along the way. It is important to be aware of what the law says and how it relates to your workplace. You can find more in-depth information on what I'm about to say in the booklet in front of you, but it's worth going into. As I said, we're fortunate to live in a society that safeguards the rights for freedom of belief for everyone. The law protects the rights of employees to manifest their belief in the workplace and prevents employers from discriminating against employees on the grounds of their religious belief, whether directly or indirectly. It is worth noting that um, any contractual obligations or other documents, like your works code of conduct, that might put a limit on what you can say or do. Um, But we do have these safeguards in law. So firstly, we've got the Equalities Act of 2010, which safeguards nine protected characteristics. um, And uh, freedom of religion and belief is one of those. Other Other protected characteristics are things like age, gender, race, sexuality, that sort of thing. So, it's a protected characteristic in law. And then we've got the European Convention of Human Rights, and that holds two articles which are included in the UK Human Rights Act. We have Article 9, which says that everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, and everyone has the freedom to manifest one's religion or belief. We also have Article 10 which says everyone has the right to freedom of expression, to live out those beliefs, the freedom to hold opinions and to receive and impart information and ideas without interference. That's what the law says. Let's get back to the Bible um, and look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Verses four and five are such a powerful reminder that people coming to know Jesus really has very little to do with us or with them. And it is everything to do with the power of God and the work of His Holy Spirit. So when we share the gospel with someone, how that person reacts is not solely dependent on our communication skills or how likely a convert they might be. It is dependent on the power of God and the work of his Holy Spirit. What a relief. Also, if you look at verse 9, they tell how you turned turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. God has the power to turn people from idols to himself. What are the idols in your workplace? Are any of them more powerful or more beautiful than Jesus? God has placed you where you are. The people you spend the majority of your week with who do not know Jesus desperately need him. And God may well have placed you where you are because he intends you to bring them to himself. The gospel has the power to turn your workplace upside down. As we go through 1 Thessalonians today, I think that you are probably mostly Thessalonians. You are in places where there is enormous opposition. Perhaps you feel like you are just trying to keep going but we have been transformed by the gospel. And wouldn't it be wonderful if one day you could be a Paul writing to your old colleagues whose lives have been transformed and remember their work produced by faith, their labour prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The EA has another research report called Talking Jesus. Um, Again, you can find this online. Um, This was really talking to non-Christians, asking them what they thought about Christians. It was also doing a lot of research into evangelism. And it found that one in three non-Christians, after a conversation with a Christian, want to know more about Jesus. One in three non-Christians, after a conversation with a Christian, want to know more about Jesus. So think of just three of your colleagues, people you interact with at work. The stats tell us that at least one of them wants to know more about Jesus. That's chapter one, chapter two, your work for God. Again, turn to the person next to you and discuss one of these two questions. What was your experience of telling a a colleague that you are a Christian hopefully you still are, not were, are a Christian? (laughs) Um, Or what has stopped you from telling a colleague you are a Christian? Answer just one of those two questions. Turn your groups again. Two minutes. Okay. I know it's brief, but I'm going to draw you back again. If you can bring those conversations to a close. (laughs) Great. Great. Um, in our research, we found that 58% of people said most or all colleagues know that they're a Christian, and a further third said some, at least some know that they're a Christian. However, when asked what factors prevented them from becoming or from telling a colleague that they're a Christian, over half said that, they, um, that there just hadn't been the right opportunity, and 36% are worried about people either making assumptions about them. Or taking offense. Let's read a bit more of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. For all of us here, our work context probably looks quite different. I work almost exclusively with Christians. I imagine most of you work almost exclusively with non-Christians. Some of you will be full-time in an office, some of you part-time, some of you full-time parents or homemakers, some of you are students and don't yet know what 9am looks like. I remember those days well. But none of us can separate our work lives and our faith because all of it is an expression of who we are in Jesus as children of God. It's your work for God. In chapter two, we see how speaking of Jesus and our work are designed to work together, not one hindering the other, but two parts of one whole. I think we see this in two instructions. Firstly, love your colleagues, and secondly, be good workers. So firstly, love your colleagues. If you do not love your colleagues, it will be very difficult to tell them about Jesus. Sharing the gospel always comes with risk, at least relationally. And this is much harder to take if we do not love the person we are talking to. If you look down at verses 3 to 8, it's really a blueprint for relational evangelism. And I wonder how many relationships in your workplace could be described in this way. Not springing from impure motives. Not people-pleasing. Not putting on a mask. Not greedy. Not using too much flattery. Not looking for praise from men, but caring and loving. How many of your relationships could be described in that way? Sharing the gospel does bring relational risk. But if you share your life with your colleagues and love them, you are much more likely to build a relationship that is strong enough to take the weight of the gospel. Of course, there will be people who reject us because of our Christian faith. Paul makes that very clear. Jesus made that very clear. But people are much less likely to be offended by us or make wrong assumptions about us if they are allowed to actually know us and if we truly know them. We asked participants in our research what they felt the most common misconceptions that their colleagues had about the Christian faith. What they felt the misconceptions were. Christians are bigoted with hateful views. I wonder if you could guess these. Christian, Christianity is all about following rules. And thirdly, that Christians are boring and look down on others. But in the Talking Jesus research, we talked to people um, who know a practicing Christian and asked them what they thought of that person. And they said uh, 62% of them said friendly, 50% said caring. said good-humoured, and 32% said generous, just so you can see some of the contrasts between what Christians think and what non-Christians think the perception is of Christians. Now, I can't say anything about how boring or not you are, but by loving our colleagues and taking the time to get to know each other, to share life with them, By the work of the Holy Spirit, we give them the opportunity to see more of the character of Jesus and who Christianity is actually all about. That we are about love, not hate, and grace, not rules. In practice, this might mean being quick to say sorry, not holding a grudge, being kind to people that make our work lives more difficult. But I wonder if you read verse 8, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. I wonder if you read that and you're thinking, I struggle to even like my colleagues. <laughs> How am I supposed to love them? I think you might be helped as I was by this C.S. Lewis quote, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. If we want to love our colleagues, we need to love them in action, and our emotions will follow. So that's firstly, love your colleagues. Secondly, work hard. You might also be thinking, I can't just talk about Jesus all the time. I actually have work to do. I have people relying on me, and I need this job. Well, look with me at verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. It is true that you will not be a good witness for Jesus if you are known as the person who slacks off their work, spends all their time chatting, trying to talk about their religion, and expect other people to pick up the work. Being good at your job and working hard will be something that supports the gospel not hinders it. We see this again in chapter 4 verses 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Working hard is crucial for winning the respect of our colleagues. And the way you go about your work, from the most mundane tasks to the most exciting, it really matters. And it makes a difference to bringing a colleague to want to know Jesus for themselves. In the Living for Jesus resource on page 21, um, you'll see an acronym, SPEAK. um, And it's designed to help us to remember some helpful tips when it comes to showing the gospel at work. So firstly, S, start with prayer. Remember, it's God's work, not ours. P, prioritise your work. Being good at your job helps the gospel, not hinders it. E, explain your faith. Understand hesitation, the hesitations people might have and be prepared to speak into them. A, aim to build gospel bridges, those relationships we, we talked about that can take the weight of the gospel. Love your colleagues. And K, Know them well know when to stop, um, know when to stop. Um, if, if you're having a conversation with someone at work trying to talk about Jesus and they're clearly not enjoying it, it might sound obvious but the best thing for them and for you is to just stop that conversation, to gently, kindly let them out of it and go back to the start of that acronym and start praying for them again. Chapter three, the work will be tough. Uh, I'll read verses one to seven. So, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Here are some quotes from the Living for Jesus at Work research from a police officer. It seems that many colleagues are intolerant in the name of tolerance and bigoted against people of faith. They openly try to make you feel less intelligent for having a faith based worldview. Or from a civil servant, they talked about the immoral practices in their workplace, and they said, "Um, I'm reaching the conclusion that it will ultimately become impossible to retain my integrity while working for my organization. Or finally, from a manufacturing chemist, there is pressure from management to see the work as more valuable than any beliefs. And let me be clear, we will face conflict in our workplaces because that is the nature of fallen, sinful people working with other fallen, sinful people. As I said, I work almost exclusively with Christians and I face conflict in my workplace. But you will face conflict at work because that is the reality of being a Christian. But look with me at verse 2. I think there's something incredibly encouraging, as Paul says. Uh, we sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. This tells us that Paul expected to find them weak and discouraged. We heard a bit about that in the, in the tent this morning, didn't we? That there, there's something in the Christian life to be expected to face discouragement. Paul makes it very clear in chapter 3 that opposition is to be expected. This is the norm. Um, I also think there's a reminder there as he sends Timothy to check on this church, um, a reminder for us to look out for one another, to seek to encourage one another. But you might be wondering, so why bother? Why do I have to be so explicit in talking about Jesus in the workplace? Can't I just witness in my actions? Well, I think this passage gives us two answers to that. Firstly, in verses eight and nine. For now, we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? This passage tells us that the joy will far outweigh the pain. This is what it means to really live. And I guess the simple but very difficult question is, are we willing to trust that? The world says that joy is found in success and security. And God's word says joy is found in Jesus and in working for his kingdom. The simple but very difficult question is, who are we going to trust? Secondly, verse 12 May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Love for everyone else. We are called to love our colleagues. We're called to love our neighbours as Christians. And what more loving thing is there to do for another person than to tell them about the good news of Jesus? On the subject of loving people, well, I thought this would be a good moment just to just to scratch the surface of the thorny issues that um, you as Christians may well face in your workplaces today. Perhaps more than ever, things that are considered normal and good and even loving in our workplaces don't line up with the convictions of what it means to be a Christian, with our Christian conscience. In our research, we asked people where they felt there had been tension between their work life and their Christian conscience. And the answers we got could generally be grouped into four categories. That there was a lack of accommodation for their Christian faith practices. The pressure of work meant that they ran out of time for their Christian practices. So ran out of time for things like going to church, home group, that sort of thing. They had felt pressure to compromise their integrity. They felt pressure to lie. And issues around sexuality and gender how their workplace engaged with things like pride, um, gendered pronouns, how they were expected to use them in email signatures particularly. Again, the resource in front of you um, goes into each of these areas in a lot of detail. Um, There's a really encouraging piece in there written by Ed Shaw. I'd really recommend you take that away and read it. But I will say that it's important to think through how we deal with these conscience issues in the most wise and productive way. Um, And here are just four quick overarching principles. So firstly, seek advice. Um, As best you can, wherever is possible, don't react to these things in the moment. Go away, pray about them, talk to a wise Christian friend, um, think carefully about them. And that allows you to secondly, be prepared. Um, We know that these are the kind of issues that come up in the world now, Um, Think through carefully what you might say, what words you might use to talk about your position on each of these issues. Thirdly, know your freedoms. We already touched on that, but know what your freedoms are as a Christian in the workplace. And finally, um, seek reconciliation. Whenever these kind of disagreements or discussions come up, um, often as Christians, the way that we leave these conversations can, can be as big a witness as how we enter into them. Think how you're going to leave those relationships um, to heal at the end of those conversations. So if you do feel discouraged at the moment in your workplace, um, I want to encourage you. In a moment of madness, at Christchurch Ballam's weekend away, uh, back in some cold month, February, um, I agreed to go along on the early morning trail run. This was very out of character for me. Um, And we all started as one big group. We were all going to run together. Um, But inevitably, we split into a fast and a slow group. I'll leave it to your imaginations which one I ended up in. I will say, though, that I ended up running on my own. (laughs) <laughs> I was running on my own and I couldn't, couldn't see anyone else I knew that they'd run ahead of me but the only way I could work out which way they'd run was seeing where the mud was slightly more um, hit down in front of me and even though I did finish last I knew that if I got to the end I would get to be with all the others I'd get to be in the group photo on Strava it would be worth it again and again in 1 Thessalonians Paul encourages the church to keep going because Jesus is going to return. Jesus sees you in your rejection. Jesus sees your struggle and your discouragement. That he has finished the race and achieved the ultimate victory, and we will see him at the end. Our future is certain, so we can keep going now. Chapter 4, Work in Holiness, These last two chapters will be much briefer. I'll read verses 1 to 8. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you t- should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who does not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Chapter four is really just a big call to holiness, to live lives that are distinct in our workplaces and make it clear that we are working for a bigger and better boss. I think God's word is incredibly clear in this chapter on what it means to live a holy life. So I'm just going to pick out three quick points. Firstly, if we look at verse one, We instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. We need encouragement to keep going, even when things are going well. Don't let your cards down. It's when we become assured of our own holiness and start to think that we've got it, um, that we don't need any help. That's when sin takes a foothold. So we need encouragement to keep going, even when things are going well. Secondly, verse three, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. God's will for your life is that you would look more and more like Jesus, whatever your work context. And whether you're at the start, middle, or towards the end of your working life, we all face big decisions and crossroads. And the most, this is the most important question we can ask, Will this draw me closer to Jesus or will it draw me further away from him? I won't pretend that the answer will always be easy, that it will always be clear. And as Christians, we do enjoy a lot of freedom, don't we, when it comes to our decisions. But that is the right question to be asking. So ask for his wisdom, honour your conscience, and really importantly, ask a Christian brother or sister to keep you accountable. When it comes to living holy lives in the workplace, have that one Christian friend that you are brutally honest with about the temptations that you face at work, whatever that might be, and ask them to ask you the difficult questions. Chapter 5, work in weakness. Turn to the person next to you again and just take one and a half minutes um, to tell that person about a colleague you care about. What are they like? What are their interests? What are they particularly good at at their job? Um, what's their personality like? And secondly, how does that person feel about Jesus? Um, just a couple of minutes. Oh, that will be explained in a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, just chat with the person next to you. Um, let me read uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While instructions are saying peace and safety, destruction while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Earlier this year, good friends of my husband and I had their first baby. And these are very good and very honest and open friends. So we asked them, you know, what's it like having a baby? Um, And they gave us a bit of a what's-and-all story. I won't share it all. Um, But there was this word that they just kept repeating again and again. It was just so intense. (laughs) like nothing I've ever experienced it was just so intense Um, once it started there was no stopping it it was so intense but it was totally worth it it was great um Jesus tells us that he will return and in this passage we see that it will be like a woman in labor he will come suddenly and irreversibly Paul quotes a common Roman phrase in this passage, peace and safety. Many of your colleagues will believe that they are living in security. Those idols we thought of back in chapter one, what people strive and long for, they believe that is what they need to have a peaceful and secure life, whether that be money, recognition the right partner a house but as christians we know how meaningless that will be when jesus returns if they do not know him how tragic and useless that will be paul goes on to say that we belong to the day jesus has called us verse 5 into his marvelous light so we should live like it it matters how we live we can't separate our work life and our faith. The stakes are too high. The colleagues that you've just been describing are too precious, and Jesus will return. As we come to a close, I just want to spend a minute acknowledging that some of you might be feeling a bit down right now about things in the work, at work. You might have been sat in this seminar thinking, My life really does look very similar to my colleagues and I spend a lot of my time talking and thinking about the same things and very few, if any, know that I'm a Christian. Is it too late for me? Do I have to quit my job? Do I have to wait until I move job? Is there any coming back from this? And I just want to encourage you and say that 1 Thessalonians starts and ends with grace. Verse 1, grace and peace to you. And in that very last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God's grace is sufficient, even in our weakness. Because of the grace of God, we are wiped clean. All our sin and failings and times we snapped when we shouldn't, times we should have said something and we didn't, has already been dealt with at the cross. And this means that it is never too late to start afresh to enter your workplace and really go for it, even if you never have before this weekend. Paul anticipates that this will not be easy. Um, Verse 8 says this, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Paul says that we are to put on these things like armour, And weak things need armor. Um, You saw him earlier. The the best analogy I could come up for this was the Hulk. Um, Bear with me. This big, green, mutant monster guy. And he can um, fight off tanks and bullets barely scratch the surface. He can brush his teeth with a missile. And all he's wearing are some small purple shorts. Strong things don't need armour. Weak things need armour. Paul anticipates that we are weak and that we need to put on faith and love and the hope of salvation as protection. And it is our job to help one another do this. Verse 11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. It is our job to get one another to the end, to make sure that we're ready for Jesus' return. Verses 12 to 23 are really a list of final instructions on how we're to live. Um, Now we ask you, brothers, to work hard those among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard. Live in peace with each other. Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Always be kind to each other. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. But this is God's will. Do not pout the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. This is... Is a list of the impossible but look at verse 24 the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it he will do it Jesus has already done all of this he lived the perfect life and we stand before God confident as his adopted children he is faithful and we go on covered by his grace as we inevitably mess up, knowing that he is is powerful to turn our workplaces upside down. So as we go away today, I want to ask, what will you do differently next week at work? Right now, you are for the most part Thessalonians, in places full of opposition. And wouldn't it be wonderful if one day you could write to your old colleagues whose lives were transformed by the good news of Jesus. Why don't you turn to the person next to you one more time and just share one thing that you would love prayer for in this next week and pray together. Um, Feel free to carry on praying, but I'm just going to pray to close us. Then feel free to stay here. Feel free to take as many resources as you'd like, but I'll pray and then you're free to go whenever. Um, Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that you are living and active, that you speak to us by your word. Would we leave encouraged? Would you help us to speak of you boldly, um, to live for you joyfully? Um, yeah, would you be glorified in our places at work? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great talks from Revive. See you next time.